are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. July 9th edition of On the Line. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text box at 334-564-1840. We are joined for the entire first hour as we are just about every Friday. Christian Clemente, AuburnSports.com with us. It's a Christian Clemente Friday. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. Happy to be here. How Lance, are you guys? Man, this short week has flown by. I mean, I, I'm the more I think about it, I think I'm on I think I'm on your side, man. I like having Mondays off. It's That's nice. right. Still Mondays. disagree. It's nice. It's nice. Like I, I do really like to have Fridays off. Like I like that a but, lot. But think about it. It's kind of like a surprise whenever Thursday, you know, you get off and you're like, okay, one more day, and you're like, Oh, wait, Actually, I'm done. Prolonged weekend. But then I'm thinking all week long about Thursday and trying to get there. It almost elongates those first four days. I don't know. Sometimes you can kind of check out a little bit earlier on Thursday, too. <laughs> I'm a good employee, Jacob. <laughs> That's Jacob Hillman behind the board with us for the Friday edition of On the Line. Seemingly, Auburn's recruiting appears to be picking up over the last few days. We're going to talk a lot of recruiting here. We'll talk some basketball as well. We'll also rank Auburn's receivers now that Demetrius Robertson is here in the room. A lot to talk about with Christian Clemente. We'll start on the football side of things. We'll save basketball for a little bit later on in this hour. Let's start off on the football side of things here. Four commitments in the last, what, three or four days? And we'll go in chronological order about what does each of these guys bring to the table. Alex McPherson, the kicker, the first commit for Auburn since, like, February 25th. Yeah, it had been, I think, BMAT pointed out to me 131 days or something like that so it's a long time yeah it went quite a while it's probably a, third of a year probably a lot longer than Auburn fans and Auburn coaches wanted but Alex McPherson is a good get for Auburn you know they needed a kicker now that the Carlson brothers are going to be fully done at Auburn with Anders only having one year left and you can't get any better than Alex McPherson in terms of the 2022 kickers uh Coles rated him as the number one kicker he had a 65 yard field goal at their camp so he is a very impressive kicker for Auburn. Has Auburn had a bad kicker in any of our lifetimes? In my lifetime, no. Freshman Anders Carlson was not very good. But look at him now. Like at the end of his his year, like if he sophomore Anders Carlson was not very good. If he has another ninety percent year, would you say that he was a decent kicker at Auburn? One hundred percent. I think that the way he ends, but I almost isolate kickers based off of a yearly stance mm-hmm. because I think senior Daniel Carlson wasn't incredible I thought it was an underwhelming into his career based off of what he did in his junior season where he had a legitimate shot to win the Groza but I almost felt like he was included for the Groza as a finalist his last year because of what he did across his career at Auburn but I think you kind of have to isolate years for kickers because their impact is so minimal over a football season that you kind of have to look at it on a year-to-year basis, like what did this guy do for you? Because if somebody starts out half their career really bad, that's that's hard to that's hard for me to look past sometimes. Because Daniel Carlson's last season, solid, 
we move on to his brother. And those two years, he missed like 20 field goals. Yeah. To be fair, some of them were some longer distances. That's he right. was kicking some 50-plus yarders. But yeah. I do agree with you. I think the year-to-year is a fair basis for I kickers. disagree with you, actually, because I think if you look at a guy like Bo Nix, like you can't judge him off of year-to-year because if he has a really good two years to end it I don't I don't I don't think it changes by position like if he has a really good two years to end his career it's like I'll say that he was a collectively a decent average quarterback it's like if a kicker has two really bad years and two really good years collectively like at the end of his his career you add it all up it's like decent average kicker do you not also think it kind of depends though on situations yeah, because the thing about it like if Auburn were in a better position to win a national championship and then Bo Nix didn't perform does that not weigh more than the last two years where maybe Auburn's 10-2, and two, doesn't have a chance at the national championship? I think it definitely is a little bit of a factor. At the same time, though, add everything up statistically, collectively, at the end of the day, average kicker, average quarterback, I don't know. <laughs> I think Dakota Parkey in the NFL started, the, started his career out solid. Then he fell apart for a little bit, especially with that Chicago stint. He wasn't very good with the Browns the first stint either. And now he's back with the Browns, and he's doing pretty well. So, you know, I'm kind of it's kind of touch and go for me at kicker. I think they they play for so long, if they actually end up being a serviceable kicker, that it, I almost kind of evaluate it on a year to year basis. Like, is he a good kicker this year? But I guess the same could be said about other positions because a lot of times it takes quarterbacks time to develop, like you're saying about Bo Nix and whatnot. But We've already got a caller. Let's head to the phone lines here. 334-321-1390. Shane is on the line with us. Shane, how you doing today, my man? Hey, guys. I'm doing all right. I'm in, I've been waiting in Taco Bell line for freaking 13 minutes so far. I hadn't moved. But other than that, um, what, what uh, the, the guy just said about uh, you can't add it up collectively. Um, and so, so you're saying that if, if people – people improve so you but you you want that you want you want all every player to improve so so if Bo Nix didn't have the help to to to, to improve himself uh, in the past couple of years and now this junior and senior year he does have the help to get the more tools to do better to get more you know I, I think that you can't you can't yeah you can say oh well he didn't start off like this yeah but he ended like this because he, he he improved, so so you you can't really group it together and say, well, because you know you guys were talking at some point about you know Auburn's football season. Well, if if you if you you can either group it to, you know whole season together, or you say, well, you know that LSU game was turning point. After that see after that game, we were we were incredible, or you know this and that. So I don't think you can say with a kicker or with any actual player um, that that they you can't group it together because you want all of them to improve and and be better at the end than the beginning does it and this is something that i'm wondering that I, that i'll open up for everybody here does it depend on does it depend more on how they end right like if someone started out great and ended poorly does that change yes. our perception i think it yes, certainly yes, changes yeah our perception. so if they digress yeah yeah then, then then you can say that because because you're supposed to be getting better as you go, when you go to school, you supposed you learn more. You you get smarter as you go through through your classes. It's the same way with 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 all of the you know all, all the players. If you get if you work, I mean if you work at it, then you're supposed to get better. You're not supposed to regress. So 
I would hold the same standard against that. So you're saying it's not fair to evaluate any player at any position unless it's based on their final season. Is that what you're saying? It's not fair to no. add, it's not fair to add no. it up. It's just at the end of their end of their tenure. At the end of their tenure, how did they how did they did they improve? Uh, so so you're saying that you're going to hold uh, somebody accountable for the first two years of their career um, when maybe they didn't have a great offensive line or the great co- great coach to help them improve in these right. areas that they needed. But the last two years, they did they did have all those pieces. So. Yeah, you can say you can say he started off really poorly, and you know if you if you add it all together, then he's an average quarterback. But but he started off as a quarter, but he's a really good quarterback. You know, I say I would say you you have to separate what you, you know how you how you say that. I don't know. At the same time, though, it's like everybody's always going to have external factors. It's not just limited to specifically kickers or Bo Nicks. I mean, you can look all across college football and say that, well, this guy didn't do good because of this or LSU didn't do good because of this or like they didn't have a quarterback or injuries or whatever. But at the end of the day, I still think it's fair to look at a guy like Nicks or look at a kicker and be like, okay, well, they if they did if Nick's does improve you know like over his the course of his career he improved but collectively like he was he was he was an average quarterback I think that's I think that's fair to say I mean especially statistically and I understand what you're saying and understand that there are definitely but he's a younger he's a younger guy the first two years he's younger he he so he's bigger he gets stronger he gets faster so he's going to improve along the way he should if he doesn't yeah he's just an average quarterback if he's if he's the same that he's been the past couple years he's an average quarterback but you you progress in life in all that you do so i don't start off i might start off average but if i keep busting my butt i'm not i i I don't want someone to call me average for extraordinary accomplishments that i make that's 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 an insult to me what i'm saying is statistically i'm saying whenever you look at his numbers you add everything up and it's going to average out to be you do average you do yeah right so that's how you rationalize everything is in numbers all together grouping not the individual person progressing getting better so you're just saying because of i added all these numbers up and then divided them then I'm just saying. Is, I'm just saying. Average. I think it's fair to also look at it in the in that perspective. I'm not saying that one way is right, one way or the other. I'm just saying it's fair to look at it that way. For you, it is. Yeah, you're right. And Shane, I, I for the record, that. I'll say this. I, I I agree with Shane from a legacy perspective. Like when we're talking about a guy's legacy, Jason Campbell, for instance. Folks really didn't hop on Jason Campbell's bandwagon until he was getting later in his career. A lot of folks were frustrated with Campbell for the first couple of seasons. Really, the first three seasons, I'd say. He puts on his senior year. Everybody remembers senior year Jason Campbell as the the total image, the total picture of Jason Campbell, rather than yeah, the first I, three years. So I agree with that. I've got an ultimate, uh, ultimate example. Okay, his first few games of Cam Newton's career, he was not good. It took a... It took a uh, a, a LSU game afterwards, and you're going to tell me that he was just an average quarterback? Uh, he definitely was not an average quarterback. He was he was incredible. Right. <laughs> Even though you add up all the numbers, I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't extraordinary. But he ended he progressed as the year went along, and you know, yeah, a person can improve, and and he's he's more than just. I'm not add, saying that anybody can improve. I'm just saying that it's fair to assess the entire career instead of chopping it up bit by bit. Right. It's fair to you in your opinion. I agree with that. 
I think I think this is a really good conversation. And, and, and on the flip side, I liked the point that we made earlier about when guys regress, like the way that we you view their the legacy. Same. Yeah, like with Jarrett Stidham, I think that's kind of the way we view Jarrett Stidham now, even though he's playing in the NFL loosely. I, I think I should say the word playing. But, you know, like started out solid in 2017, regresses in 2018. Our viewpoint of Jarrett and Stidham is very different. Yeah. That is, a, that is a very fair point, which was kind of where I was going to with kickers. Like, I try and, like, look at them on a year-to-year basis sometimes because the first half of Anders Carlson's tenure at Auburn was bad. It was not good. <laughs> and now you look at him, and, he, and he's, a, he's a solid kicker. So I, I do think it and is I, fair to say that he, across his entire career, maybe that's, maybe that's not right to say that uh, across his entire well, career well, is well, average. That's right. One, one last thing, and I'll, and I'll get out of here. You also have to take, for a kicker, you have to take consideration. So the coaching, okay, or, or the offense, they put him in positions where he had to make some long field goals, and it hurt his yep. his average. If you added them all up and divided them, you would get his average probably poorly than that guy actually is. He, he, he's extremely accurate, but when you when you land it all on the dude and, and your offense can't get past the you know 50-yard line most of the time, and he's asked to make 50, 55, 60, 65-yard field goals, I'm, he's not going to make all of those. And, you know, it, it, it did hurt his, his, his average, uh, even though I, I believe that he's a, he is an excellent um, kicker. Shane, so. have you moved at all on the Taco Bell line? I've moved two freaking spots. <laughs> Good luck, like man. four I, people I, in front of me. <laughs> what'd you order? I ordered yet. I haven't even ordered. Oh, that's tough. Years there you go. <laughs> hey, this is this is the fast food industry that we're in right now. So I, I, I hope that it's gets better. Talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. War Eagle. See you, Shane. War Eagle. That was Shane on the line with us. Number to call: three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Text line: three three four five six four one eight four zero. Feel bad. I opened a I opened a little bit of a can of worms there on development. I, I do view. I do take a look at guys from a perspective of like this year they weren't very good the next year they might have been like I do think it's fair to look at it and kickers it's a little bit easier to because of their minimized role in college football but in terms of development I do agree with Shane's perspective on this the way that we view guys is totally in the scope of how they finished versus Rec- how they started recency bias I'm not yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's wrong to view it that way I'm just saying it's also fair to take into account what they did over their entire career collectively yeah. It's like some guys may be great all the way through their career. Some guys may be bad all the way through their career. There are obviously going to be external factors. Like when you look at a guy like Cato Nelson at Akron, like that team's all going to be terrible. He's never going to have a chance to shine. But if you put if you put him in a good situation, he'd probably be a better quarterback. But like still, I think it's fair to say, yeah, this kicker was good this year. This kicker was bad this year. It's like obviously it's like that's what happened, and he got better. But at the same time, you can also go look at the end of his tenure and say, okay, he did this. He he made this amount of field goals. Let's look at history and see what other guys did collectively. And you know, like I'm just match. I'm just saying, literally, like he said, it's literally just like adding up and dividing numbers. I think it's also a, an interesting way to look at it. I'm not saying either way is right or wrong. I'm just saying that it's also another way you can yep. look at it. And whenever you're evaluating kickers, quarterbacks, any position. Christian, did you expect to be talking about kickers for 15 minutes to open the show? <laughs> uh, not exactly, no. But, I mean, I think it's a fair argument you can make either way. Um, I agree with Jacob a little bit. It's recency bias, but I also agree with Lance. You know, you should look back a little bit and see what they did freshman year and stuff like that. So, it's an interesting argument. One thing is for sure. Alex McPherson, he's got a big leg. Yes. 
got a big leg. I hate that we already used Legatron on Daniel Carlson. What does Anders Carlson have a nickname? The bookstore. The books. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that one's easy. We need something leg related for McPherson. I mean, it fits perfectly though. I for, think it works. Yeah, for, oh, for McPherson, my bad. Yeah, oh, for Anders. No, no, I'm, the the bookstore fits perfectly okay, for Anders, thought, right? Yeah. Of course. I'm talking about we need a nickname for McPherson. My bad. Okay, we've got some time. We do. We'll come up with something. I just hate that we already use Legatron because already I think what you've seen with McPherson, there. I don't. I don't know if Don, Daniel Carlson was had that big of a leg coming out of high school. Probably. He had a big leg, but I don't know if he had that big leg. Wasn't this he kid really was kicking scrawny? from his forty-five, not his own, but was kicking the ball from the forty-five yard line. I, I feel like Carlson was also really skinny coming into Auburn. Well, this kid's small too. He's, this kid's yeah. smaller than the other He's guys. Compact. At the same time, it was like wasn't one of Carlson Daniel's first kicks like a fifty-six yarder in that opening game against Louisville? It's like he's making the really long kicks, like the most difficult kicks at the beginning of his tenure. It's like. And kickers, like, there's not a whole lot of external factors. If he's still kicking from that distance in his senior year and he's not making them, I feel like it's also, like, in, in my in like what I'm saying about, like, adding everything up, it's like if he's doing it well at the beginning of his tenure and he's doing it bad at the end of his tenure, it's like there maybe there wasn't a progression. Maybe that's just where he's at collectively as a whole. Carlson was one for there, one. There's a lot of different – it's it's situational. Yeah, I, I think, think guys are different. It was a 56-yarder in that first game. Man. Yeah. Okay. I think it's tough with kickers too. We talked about it a little bit just to look at the numbers and you know the percentages because I think McPherson this past year in high school he was something like ten of seventeen on field goals or something like that. I read, but I think five of the misses were from fifty-five yards or more out, and then the other two were blocked. So you look at the percentage, you're like, oh, this is not very good. But he's hitting long field goals. He's missing a couple long field goals that are extraordinarily long. NFL guys miss those, and other ones get blocked. So. With kickers especially, you just have to read into what the misses right. are. Again, I'm not he, saying that just the numbers are what you should look at. I'm just saying that it's definitely, like, in situations like that, that can be a factor, and it's something that you should look at, at least. I'll say this, too, about kickers. As you get stronger, it gets easier to hit a 50-plus yarder without losing accuracy on it. Because when you are that young, when you're that small, when you're not developed, you have to exert more force to try and get the ball to go that distance and sometimes and we know this in many sports and I think um, you know I I would use baseball and golf as great examples for this you try and absolutely just smash it you're gonna in golf you're gonna you you might end up slicing it but take a little bit off of it and you'll hit it straight and I, I think that that's a pretty good example there is when you're kicking maybe when you try and exert that much force because you're a little bit smaller it's a little bit harder to be accurate at that age and that's something I think that's one way that we see kickers development it's easier for them to kick a longer field goal with accuracy as they get older than it is when they're younger this is interesting interesting kicker discussion we need to take a quick break here (laughs) when we come back we'll talk about the other recruits the guys that aren't kickers and aren't out there for one or two plays a game we'll we'll talk about guys that are going to be out there majority of the time you're listening on the line Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board and Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com joining us for the Friday afternoon edition of the show. There's three other commitments that Auburn got on the football trail other than Alex McPherson. Let's move to the next one in chronological order. Four-star tight end, Michael Riley Ducker. And the last time we talked, you and I did not think that he was going to go to Auburn. And then fast forward, 
Monday, all of these predictions start coming in that he's going into, or not Monday, uh, Wednesday, all these predictions start flooding in that he's going to go to Auburn, and he ends up choosing Auburn. What does Michael Riley Ducker bring to the table for the Tigers? Yeah, he's a big pickup for Auburn. Look, anytime you're battling Iowa for a tight end and you can land him, that's good. Iowa is probably tight end you, so that's a good pickup uh, for Auburn. He can play inside closer to the offensive line and block a little bit. He can split outside a little bit still as well. Um, he's very athletic. I think he's a very big pickup, and he really started to get some momentum going for the staff that they desperately needed. They needed to go out and win a battle somewhere, and they were able to do that with Mike Riley Ducker. So I think it's a big pickup. This is very interesting, and a lot of his highlight tape, he was split out as a big slot. Just go and look at his huddle and whatnot. Like his his best plays, really, I never saw him in his highlight tape attached to the line of scrimmage. So I wonder how often he was. But at his high school in Nebraska, not not, not a ton. And I'm not saying that he won't get attached to the line of scrimmage because I think he will a little bit more in Brian Harson's offense. But I didn't know this about Brian Harson. And when I looked at PFS Preview Magazine, they were ta- they break it down scheme percentages and whatnot in, in terms of pass plays. Only, or not only, seventy percent of the time. Brian Horson's offense at Boise State had five-man protection, meaning that a tight end was not on the line of scrimmage. Huh. Interesting. I would or not have the tight that. end went out to pass, and so or, or went out for went, went out on a route and didn't actually go into pass protection. I find that interesting. I, I think that what that tells us a little bit more is that Michael Riley Ducker might end up being a big slot kind of guy. We might see him in the slot more than we may see him on the line of scrimmage. And again, like I was saying earlier this week, I'm not saying this man is anywhere close to Eric Gilbert, but he's going to be able to find... Like, Auburn's finally going to have somebody out there playing the tight end position that will be used to go out and catch passes. And five-man protection doesn't necessarily mean it's always four wide receivers or five wide receivers or or someone split out of the slot. I mean, a tight end technically could be on the line of scrimmage in this instance and just have gone out for a pass and they only use their five offensive linemen to block. I think that just tells us that 70% of the time a tight end is running a, a, a route if he's on the field. And which is, or, or, or maybe not exactly that percentage, but 70% of the time this team only had five five players blocking so the tight ends were used heavily in Brian Harson's offense at Boise State and there's some actual hard hard statistics there on that and I think that's what Michael Riley Ducker really brings to the table but then you move to the defensive backfield safety Caleb Wooden committed to Auburn as well literally the next morning yeah I think he's kind of a developmental safety um I think he wants to play free safety and I think that's where Auburn wants him I would compare him similar to the 2020 class like a Caden Bridges a Juwan Gaston he might need a little bit of time in this system to kind of develop especially to the college game but you know, maybe three, four years down the line, once he's within the program, he could be a contributor at safety for Auburn. So I think that's a pretty solid pickup for Auburn. Yeah, I honestly thought, like I'll like like I said on yesterday's show, I'll take anybody that Auburn can get to, to commit. But at the safety spot, you and I were pointing out that Auburn's not necessarily set there, but they've definitely got some guys, and they've got some depth at that position for well, a year or so to come. At least three years. Yeah, it's, it's, they, they've got that position locked down. So I'm not necessarily confused by the pickup of Wooden. I'm just – I just – I don't know. I feel like we could have waited a little bit longer in the cycle before we, before we landed on a guy like him. And who knows, maybe there was another guy out there that Auburn could have gotten instead. Well, look, he's not an immediate starter. Right. Your oldest guy at safety right now, obviously, is Mo Monday, and then he's gone. But the three young guys after that, Ladarius Tennyson's a sophomore, and he's the oldest of that group. Then you have two freshmen, and Kaufman and Amari Harvey. And th- those are those are your three safeties moving forward after – after Smoke Monday's gone, take two of those guys to start, and then the other guy's going to be the main backup to cycle there out of the field. And how often are you really subbing the safety position? 
It's it's not that often. Most of the time, you have a, a hard two or three guys that are playing out there at that position. You're not really, you know, that that is not a position group that deals with a ton of fatigue like the defensive line. Where you see a lot of rotations and whatnot. So I wonder how quickly this guy actually gets on the field remains to be seen. But then the big commitment yesterday, Demetrius Robertson. Yeah, we talked about him a little bit on last week's show. Um, I liked where Auburn stood, and they were able to get him. Um, formerly the number one wide receiver, you got to go way back for that. He's been in college for a little bit now, but. He was very, very good his first season at Cal. And then mistake, or I might be wrong here, but then he dealt with an injury and he transferred to Georgia. Never really fully recovered from that injury, but if he can become even just half of what he was his first season at Cal, that'll be huge for Auburn because they desperately needed a veteran in that wide receiver room, and that's what they're getting. Well, he was half of that in 2019 at Georgia, and he was really productive. And like the two years that he was actually able to be on the field at Georgia, or not just Georgia, but also at Cal, the two years in his collegiate career where he didn't deal with injuries or, or could actually be on the field, he was productive. And I think already he's inserted into the room. He's probably the best receiver that Auburn's got right now. How much does Demetrius Robertson's commitment move the needle in your mind for Auburn's receiver room? Uh, I think it changes it quite a bit. They, I mean... It cannot be understated how much they needed a veteran wide receiver who is also very talented, and that's exactly what he is. He's a very fast wide receiver. He's not overly big, but he's big enough. He Six gets foot the job 190. done. He's not Devontae Smith. Yeah he, yeah, he gets the job done there. So I think that is just a massive pickup for Cornelius Williams and the rest of the Auburn wide receiver room. I mean, it can't be understated how big he is. Going back to Caleb Wooden real quick, I don't mean for this to be taken the wrong way. I mean this in, in, in like a, a good way, right? Um, Caleb Wooden, obviously in recruiting rankings, he's lower down on the on the total ball there, right? And my question is, is this a diamond of the rough kind of situation? Where what is this coaching what does this coaching staff see in Caleb Wooden that they like a lot? Like what what is attracting them here with Caleb Wooden? You know, I couldn't tell you that exactly, but he came to camp at Auburn and after the camp he earned an offer. So clearly whatever they saw they liked. And that's something that Derek Mason and so maybe uh, the rankings are unfair. That 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 could be a possibility. You know, the rankings were a little off last year because coaches weren't able to go and see players at high school, and you know, we rivals two four seven whatever we weren't able to go and see the players quite as much. So the rankings might be a little bit off this year, just a little bit, um, and we'll be able to see that more uh, for Caleb's senior season and for other players' senior seasons. So it, it could be a situation with a diamond in the rough. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we talk Auburn basketball. We got some good stuff about what the Tigers have been doing in practice. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, 30 minutes into the first hour of the show. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Joined by Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the Friday edition of the show. Christian, what's coming up on the AuburnSports.com side of things? In your yeah, so we're getting ready for media days. That'll be a little bit end of July, I want to say. I'll be out of town. so I, Man, I, it's a week from Monday. It is, really? It's a week from Monday. Okay, I know wow. you're out of town, but it, it is a week from Monday. <laughs> okay, that's coming up really quick then, but then I'll have a series. Um, I'll look at you know three players that are freshmen on offense, three players that are freshmen on defense, and go down the line, sophomores, juniors, et cetera, and I'll pick out some impact players that I think can make an impact. So, What are you going to do in Montana? Uh, I'm going to go you know, visit Glacier, Yellowstone, go back home to Bozeman, hang out with some friends and stuff like that. So Ride a bear? Is that uh, in, is that in the cards? Buffalo okay. should be top of the list. 
I, I've cert, I've seen Buffalo quite a few times, but I don't know about riding them. That seems like a death sentence. I saw. It, it's yeah, kind of like that. Have you have y'all ever seen that news report where the guy was like doing a report in front of? I think he was in front of Yellowstone. Yeah. He saw the Buffalo. And he was like, nope, nope, nope. And he just got <laughs> his car and said, nope. I uh, I was once at um, I was driving through like Lineville, which you probably have no idea where Lineville is, and that's okay. Um, I was I was coming from Sylacauga, going pretty much across the state out to like Roanoke, and I like ended up through Lineville or something like that, and I saw like a yak or or like a bison or something like like yak or bison farm or something like there there. If people know what I'm talking about, like hit us up. Number to call three three four three two one thirteen ninety. They know what I'm talking about because that it, it was I was just blown away. I was like, what is this? How is this in the middle of Alabama somewhere? Like, it did not seem like a native animal to this state whatsoever. So <laughs> I'm just fascinated. You're the only person I've ever met from Montana. I'm just fascinated because, like, y'all have cooler animals than we do. Yeah, I mean, I have bears in my backyard. I have moose in my backyard. You ever seen an elk? Yeah. Man, that is so we cool. We just have, like, snakes and deer yeah. and white-tailed deer and, and coyotes. And the occasional armadillo. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Do you know Man. armadillos can jump like five feet in the air? I did not. There's your. Fun I wish I didn't Friday. know that. <laughs> that one coming Friday. straight at you. I'll, I'll be staying like ten feet away from armadillo from now on. <laughs> Here's another fun fact. Did you know Auburn basketball has a loaded team this year? And you've been getting to watch them a lot throughout this off season, at least at practice and whatnot. And the news here on the basketball front is that Jasper has now been practicing since he's arrived on campus. What have you seen from the guy? Yeah, so they finally have the full team here. Everybody's here and. Zepp Jasper, his defense is as advertised. It is very strong. On-ball defense, he is a menace. He knows exactly where to be when he's playing off-ball. I mean, he's just extremely smart defensively. Um, offensively, his game looked maybe just a little bit behind, but they're also trying to run plays and stuff like that, and he hasn't really had time to learn them. It was the same thing I talked about with Katie Johnson a couple weeks ago. When he first came to Auburn, his defense was very strong. Offense just needed a little bit of work. I think next week... Zepp Jasper, he'll be perfectly fine. He's a very smart kid. He'll be perfectly fine offensively. I'm not panicked or anything like that, but it, it was just a little bit behind. Can he, like an armadillo, jump five feet in the air? He, <laughs> his vert's probably not that that far up. but <laughs> Probably not that far up, but his shooting stroke was very nice, if I will say go. one thing very good about him offensively. So he adds the three-point shot to yes. the perimeter a little bit better than maybe what Auburn's had the last two seasons or so out of the backcourt. I think so. I think him and Wendell Green will make up a pretty solid uh, shooting backcourt. How consistent does the three-point shot look right now in the offseason? Because that that has not been a consistent piece in the Auburn offense the last two seasons. They'll shoot it. You just don't know if it's going in on any given day. I think it's certainly better. Um, players have improved, and I think Wendell Green looks very strong from three. Um, if I had to pick like one player, or if I had to pick between those two point guards... I think Wendell Green has the takeover ability. I don't know if Zepp Jasper has that necessarily. I think he's very good, and he'll be a strong impact player. But Wendell Green has that ability to you know, maybe drop 30, 35 points in a game and go off from what I've seen so far. The vibe I'm getting from you right now on on Zepp Jasper at the moment is kind of a much, much better like defensive version of TJ Dunnans, if you know who I'm talking about. I've you heard may, the name, Yeah, but... you weren't covering Auburn at the time. But uh, TJ Dunnans about five years ago, mm-hmm. and – you know, got, he has a three-point shot. Maybe not like 
Maybe not like dead eye like a Bryce Brown, but still will shoot in the mid, you know, low to mid thirties. That form was nasty, man. It was, it was, it needed work. (laughs) But an athlete, and the main thing that I felt like T.J. Dunnans was lacking the time. Maybe he didn't have the the defense that that Zeb Jasper has. But they frame wise seem to that that comparison seems to fit. Do you two agree with that? Yeah, I think from what he said, definitely because it's one of those things where Dunnans wasn't this crazy playmaker on offense, but he had the ability to knock down that three point shot, like you said. And on defense, it was just hit or miss, whereas Jasper, we've heard time and time again that his defense is incredible. I'll say this. I think from like a pl- the way that they play the game, I think based on the way that you're describing it, Christian, I think they're very similar. But isn't Jasper only like six feet tall, right? I would say he's probably closer to six one from yeah. seeing him. Uh, Dunnins was like listed at six four, six five, and I saw him in person. That was a big, big dude. Like he was not. He was he was somewhere between that guard forward kind of yeah, role. But he's he more played, of a shooting guard or small forward. He was really comfortable handling the ball though. So I agree with you. I think as far as like the way that they play the game, incredibly similar. So maybe should we dial this back a bit since he's six foot one and say Bryce Brown? But that's he's not that. Exactly. But he's not that. So maybe a slightly worse version of Bryce Brown. Is that what we're going with I as think, far as shooting ability? I think Dunnans is, is a fair comp, though. Like, okay. Despite the height difference, I think it still is a fair comp. But I also feel like that Dunnans and Brown are just kind of put them together, and they're literally amazing. Well, you're the one that's seen them. Do you, do you, do, what do you think about the Bryce-Brown comparison? Uh, I think that might be a little off, maybe. Okay. I just don't think he's different that. Different play styles. Yeah, I, I think they're just totally different players a little bit, Ronnie to be Johnson. honest. Uh, I, Mark, Ronnie Johnson was much shorter <laughs> than six foot one, I think. Yeah, 5'10", probably. <laughs> Do you see combo guard or, or true point guard? He's what do you point see? guard. Okay. He's point guard for sure. Those two, Wendell Green and Seb Jasper, are going to battle it out. Probably they're going to split minutes, to be honest. It doesn't really matter who much, too much, who will be the starter. But Based he's off a point of what guard. you've seen, what would you prefer? Like, who would you prefer to get the, the most minutes? See, that's really tough because. It's early. You haven't seen like yeah. peak Zep Jasper at the and, moment. And based on what uh, you're describing, both of them have really good aspects of their game. That if like if you put them together, they would be a really really good player. But like you're saying, Wendell has that that takeover ability. He's really good offensively. But Zep obviously is one of the best defenders Auburn has. So where 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 do you how do you see that shaking out potentially? So initially, I was going with Wendell Green. I think I might go Zep Jasper simply because of what I've seen out of the other players. Mm-hmm. Because I think Katie Johnson, Alan Flanagan, Jabari Smith, and Walker Kessler are an outstanding other four on that starting lineup. So maybe bring in a little bit more defense um, at point guard with Zep Jasper and pair him with Katie Johnson as a very strong defensive backcourt. And, you know, maybe bring Wendell Green in off the bench as a strong scorer, a sixth man type of guy. But I mean, it's it's a toss up. I think they're both extremely talented. See, and Bruce Pearl really hasn't had a great defensive point guard at Auburn. Not that I can really think of so I kind of feel like with his philosophy of always starting those best defensive players he might try it say hey let's see what a great defensive point guard will look like out there to start the game now like we said the starter doesn't really matter it's all about the minutes right but I think that he might want to start Jasper even if he doesn't get the most minutes now that the whole team's there what's the chemistry look like I think that's the main question that that anybody's got to have on their lips if you're an Auburn fan this year all we know how talented they are the question is do they actually end up gelling are they gelling right now Uh, They're starting to. Um, Communication is one of the biggest issues, and that's something from the first practice I watched a couple weeks ago to the practice two or three days ago, whatever it was, they're still having that issue. I mean, they're just, there's some quiet guys on this team that don't really love talking when they're on the floor. So that's something they've been stressing quite a bit in practice. Who are your more vocal players and who are your less vocal players? 
So Alan Flanagan is definitely very quiet. Um, all the returning guys, actually, I would say, outside of Stretch. Stretch is very loud. Um, but Al Flanagan, Jalen Williams, Devin Cambridge are all pretty quiet. Um, as for players that are a little louder, Katie and Wendell Green like to chirp a little bit. Walker Kessler gets pretty loud. He gets pretty hyped up in practice. Um, Jabari likes to talk. I don't know if I would say he's necessarily loud on the court, but he likes to talk smack a little bit. And then That's fun. That's who I would probably go with. Wendell Green is probably one of the leaders, I guess I would say. Do you think that's something that Bruce Pearl had in mind on the recruiting trail? Trying to get more vocal players, guys with bigger personalities maybe, to offset the quietness of his returning roster? Uh, I think maybe it could be a little bit. I think it could also just be a coincidence. You know, Bruce, guys will talk. You just have to get them talking a little bit. So that's just kind of how it worked out, I think. Any other notes happening throughout uh, practice that maybe we've missed on? Yes, Chris Moore. He has been fantastic. He has been absolutely fantastic. He has slimmed down a little bit. He looks to be in a little bit better shape. His three-point shooting stroke is incredible. He's been, I would say, three-point specialist, Chris Moore. He's been probably one of the best shooters. You know, his nickname is Simo. Players started calling him Mm Threemo in practice. So. This is like Zebo from the from Memphis Grizzlies, Zach Randolph, <laughs> but a, a, a much shorter version and the collegiate version of Kurt, of course. So so now like we've gone through pretty much the whole roster. I'm waiting for you to come in today when you tell me that Stretch Akingbola has just jumped off the page. He is improved, I would say, because okay. he looked his first years at Auburn maybe just a little clumsy on offense. He certainly improved, and he is so loud out there. It's hard to really tell in a game, and you can't notice it because you can't hear them. But in practice, when you're sitting two rows behind them and you're the only person there, he's so loud. These players really respect him. They look to him for answers. They were running a drill um, where the walk-ons were all playing defense. So then they needed a big man. So Dylan and Walker and Stretch were all switching off. You know, the walk-ons were having some difficulty getting stops. He comes on the floor, says, come on, guys, let's get some stops. And a lot louder than that, they instantly get three stops in a row. He gets them hyped up, gets them excited. So he's definitely a team leader. Going back to Chris Moore, I said this off air earlier in the week and people disagree with me, but that's okay. Now that you've said that he's trimmed down a little bit, I'm curious, Chris Moore comparison to maybe Malik Dunbar? I think that's certainly fair. Um, I think Chris Moore is, he's a very smart player. We saw it last year. He's always in the right spot. He's always getting offensive rebounds. Um, he's still doing that, even though he has trimmed down a little bit. So you add that with an improved three-point shooting stroke a so little bit like faster. that's the mold that they're trying to put him into? Because Malik Dunbar was an enforcer. One, one thing, I mean, you think about his blocks and when he dunked. I mean, there was a, he was a spark plug enforcer type that could shoot the three. They definitely put him out on the wing a lot of times. And that seems like the mold they're trying to shift Chris Moore into. I think that's a fair uh, comparison. I think he's a little bit different in a sense, but I think that's a fair comparison. Well, you talk, about, like you talk about his ability to rebound and to be able to shoot the three just a little bit. He reminds me more of Deshaun Murray in a way because I don't think that Moore is going to be as explosive when it comes to like the dunks and the highlights and stuff like that. Not saying he's unathletic. I'm, uh, I've just seen, the not power yeah. forward version of Deshaun Murray. Yeah, I've seen this man dunk before. It's just I th- he, he reminds me a lot more of Deshaun. I like that. I like that. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we will wrap up our conversation with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
joined by Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com, wrapping up our conversation with him. What's all been going on in your week on AuburnSports.com that people should be checking out? Uh, it's all been the recruiting stuff so far. We've had the four commits in, I think it was in three days, so you can read about those a little bit. Uh, Brian Matthews tracked all the different transfers so far this offseason today. So if you want to go and look at that and get a, kind of a rundown of every position and how the transfers have been impacting that, you can look at that. So what's next for Auburn on the recruiting trail? Is it Caden Story, August 1st, or are there other position battles that may be ending pretty soon? Uh, Damari Alston, a running back from Georgia, he actually went to the same high school as Walker Kessler. Um, he'll be announcing July 25th, Okay. and I would say Auburn is a lean for him. I put in my future cast for Auburn. Um, I think that'll be the first running back that Auburn grabs. Four-star, three-star? Four-star. Okay. What uh, do we know nationally, What or not nationally, uh, position-wise, what is he on rivals? Uh, who? I can top tell 10, you. top 15, top 20. I want to say he's top 20 or something okay. like that. He's a pretty, pretty good running, running back. back. Yeah. Yeah. He's good pretty commitment. good. That's, that's solid. That, that'll be a good commit for Auburn and they need running backs. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Have we talked to you since Devin Barrett? You were with us last week when Devin Barrett, the day that Devin Barrett entered the transfer portal. All right. Well, that's great. So you, <laughs> you got the running back that you just mentioned coming up and then you got Caden story on August 1st and then media days, of course, that's going to overshadow that for a bit. And that's a Monday. Uh, that's a week from this upcoming Monday. My last question to you before we let you get out of here, and this is going to take a a little bit to sort through, but we've had our traffic light of recruiting for Auburn football, and I'm going to continue to have this traffic light until it hits green, all right? Like, I'm taking this all year long. That is how I'm gauging this. That's my metaphor. Last week, you were strong yellow, and now there's some commitments that have rolled in. I've stayed on yellow. Lance has stayed on yellow. Where are you at? Uh, I would move down to yellow. I wouldn't say it's light yellow, as in headed towards green. But I would still put it at yellow. I would say it's lime. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I would definitely still stick it at yellow. Um, and the commitment of Micah Riley Ducker is what changed that for me because I think that was a win. Caleb Wooden wasn't necessarily a huge win. Doesn't move the needle. McPherson, uh, right. he was in Auburn lean for a while, so that was expected. And He's a kicker. Yeah, and Demetrius Robertson, that was expected for a while. And they've also been attacking the transfer portal very well for a while. I'm mostly looking at, you know, how can they get these high school kids in. Right. So, And, and we're not saying that any of these guys are worthless. It's just like you mentioned, I think that's the right way to say it. It's just that outside of Riley Ducker, none of these guys move the needle. And again, like Christian said, Demetrius Robertson was to be expected. So I'm really happy to have McPherson. I'm really happy to have Wooden. It's just those guys are not going to be as impactful as maybe Riley Ducker next, next season and Robinson this year. And I understand the validity of the excuses that people have hopped on for this, saying, you know, it's early, it's still June, July, it's the first two months of it, uh, this is a new coaching staff, the, the deck has stacked against them. I understand all that, and I agree with all that. But I also think it can equally be true, though, this is obviously not a good position to be in, and, and you, you would like to have a top eight SEC recruiting class, right? Like, that still should be the goal. And so I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying that it is a yellow light at this point, that there is still a lot of work to be done. On yesterday's show, I said, when you're sitting at when you're sitting in the prison cell that is 80th in the SEC, 80th nationally and last in the SEC, you have to get your spoon out and start digging. And I feel like that's what this week was. Yeah, that Michael Riley Ducker commitment was definitely big for me. Um, but I agree with you completely. You know, these excuses or whatever you want to call them are valid, but the expectations were already very low for the staff. We knew going into it what it would be. Through the month of June, they didn't meet those already low expectations. So that was what really caused my concern putting it at a strong yellow. 
They went out and won a battle against Iowa, which was a big win for me. But July, they they met those expectations. Would you say that? For um, recruiting? No, I don't think they did meet those. I don't think they met those through the first month. Okay. But I think with the win of Micah Riley-Ducker, they're starting to inch closer to those expectations. They're not there yet, but they're starting to inch closer. Maybe it just took a little bit of... They just needed some momentum, right? The wheels weren't turning. Maybe they were, or maybe they were stuck in mud, and the wheels were just turning over and over again. They couldn't actually get get going. But now they're now they're out of the mud, maybe, and now they can get back on the road. It could be that a little bit, yeah. I like that. Yeah, my metaphors are bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're really bad. Prison cell with the spoon, and then turning your turning the turning the wheels in the mud. But that's kind of what it felt felt like for a while. So they just kept beating their head against the wall and could actually make any. Couldn't make any movement. Well, I think they, that's accurate. I think the the wheels stuck in the mud is accurate because you know they're bringing these guys on campus and they're getting all this positive feedback. It's like the the wheels are turning. Like they're trying to make stuff happen. It's just nobody had committed yet. So I think that's an accurate way to say it. Still a long way to go for Auburn football recruiting. What's kind of the barometer for this for this class at the at the end of this? Because I've talked with a couple of people that you're not expecting them to take 25 recruits anymore with the transfer portal. Maybe you're expecting 15. So and my dad brought up a great point to me when I was talking to him, and I thought, yeah, what would be like the highest that you think Auburn could finish even with a top 15 class? I think the absolute highest that they can get is top 20, and I think that's just because they're not going to take a ton of kids, and it is a little bit of a struggle, this recruiting class. I think they're going to hit the transfer portal hard like they have been. So I think if they can get top 20, that's a big win for the staff. Like I'd- top 20 this year with 15 recruits would be like landing a top 10 class? I don't know if it would be like landing a top 10, but just just looking at it for this staff and this year, getting top 20 would be a big win for this staff, in my opinion. I think the point that I'm trying to illustrate here for folks is, yes, the transfer portal has changed things. Rankings haven't been adjusted yet to reflect transfer portal commitments. So if you've got less recruits, the way that recruiting rankings work, it limits how high you can actually go in the rankings. So if you've only got 15, what is the highest ranking that you can get to? And can Auburn actually, and how far away is, how, how far does Auburn deviate from that mark is right. kind of the way that you should evaluate this recruiting class. So if Auburn finishes, you know, what what does Auburn finishing 20th actually equate to if this was, you know, back right. a year or two ago? And I, and I think we won't know that actually until we get to December, probably. Well, if they're going to get to 20th, they are going to have to bring in some some guys that do move the needle. So. Four stars. I don't, I don't know if Auburn's really in play for any five stars do you know of anybody that Auburn's really actually in play for not that I know of really yeah. no and and the thing that I've been saying to folks is like yes this was a good week and Michael Riley Ducker is a four-star and and you got the number one kicker and that this was a good week but you are going to have to start hitting on major positions with four stars for me to be like yeah this recruiting class is, is turning around I mean you got to start hitting O-line they haven't got an offensive line commit yet now they got there's there's three potential ones at Auburn High School right in their own backyard you know but there's you just you got to start hitting the major position groups and getting really good players at those position groups before it really just it, before it gets to a green light for me at the moment because I I understand the point about yes it, it's it's early and this is new coaching staff but you don't want to have back to back middle of the pack SEC recruiting classes because that hurts you three four years from now. Mm-hmm, exactly but, but with that being said also say this invest you know sit there and, and and give it time if if things are three or four years from now looking like eight and four based off of the parameters of what this program has started with maybe it's worth playing the long game with brian harson and really truly evaluating them five six years from now barring anything disastrous yeah 
Christian, I appreciate it, my man. Thanks for hopping on with us. Yeah, thank you for guys. Thank you guys for having me on. Hope you have a good weekend. And if I don't see you, hope you have a safe trip back to Montana. Thank you. I'll be back in a couple weeks. That's it for the first hour of On the Line. We'll be back at 3 o'clock. Stay tuned. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We want to hear from you. A big thank you there to Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com for joining us in the first hour of the show. Hope he has a safe trip back to Montana really just a great diverse state when it comes to terrain and then all the the diverse wildlife i've never seen a moose i had never seen anybody from montana until christian walked in just a month or so ago i mean it's a it's a it's a beautiful state uh the dakotas and washington and oregon and and uh wyoming and montana all all of that that mountainous terrain is beautiful it's absolutely beautiful Keep up with all the content the show's putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Starting off hour number two here with Fill in the Blank Friday. Try and do this every week. We've kind of been hit or miss the last couple of weeks. I think we did this about two weeks ago, and now we're back to it. Fill in the Blank Friday here. And I've got some blanks here for us to fill in. We'll see if it takes us the whole segment. If not, we have got some other things to catch up on as well in the Auburn universe. But starting off, filling the blank Friday, I'm sure a lot of people saw the video of the golfer at the Scottish Open that just walked up, plucked a golf club out of Rory McIlroy's bag and went and looked like he was about to go and take a swing with it in the tee box. And then he was promptly escorted away. So here's my blank here. If there was a golfer that you would walk up and take their golf club out of their bag, like the man at the Scottish Open, it would be blank. Well, I think you're missing the most important part is that he took his head cover, the driver head cover. That's true. The the the, about that. the dog, and that's why my answer would be Tiger, and I'm taking Frank, the Tiger head cover that he has for his driver. Are you running with it, or are you just going to stop there and allow yourself this, to be? This caught? is a complete hypothetical. <laughs> I am trying to steal it. Yes. If I'm going to steal somebody's club, no, 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 it's not steal. It's just uh, you, you got ejected in this. I, I know you're. You might run because you're a big time. I'm going guy. to attempt to take that. <laughs> in your yes. hypothetical, you are stealing the club. Can in my hypothetical, take, can I steal I'll the take, club? I'll take the whole driver with the head cover on it. The most important part is the head cover. <laughs> if I'm going to take a head cover, it's like I don't know. I don't know enough about uh, uh, like different head covers. Like if there's any like funny ones out there, like tigers, like. I mean, if I were going to take one from somebody like I respected just to have it, I'd probably take it from Mickelson or Fowler. Those would probably be my two. If I just wanted to have one and say, like, yeah, that was Ricky Fowler's head cover, like, I would probably take his. Just putting myself in the situation here of this hypothetical, 
if there was a golfer that I was going to walk out there and just nonchalantly just show up and stand there in the tee box, this one's fake. This would be funny. Happy Gilmore because of the scene that would be caused. And honestly, I would get my head caved in by if Happy only they were Gilmore. Real. But if yes, only he was if real. only if he was real, right? But I think the real life version of this that you pointed out to me, and I, I thought this, and I was like, would he freak out on me? And then you resoundingly said this, Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau would go Hulk on me, and I, I just think that would be a funny scene. He would cry, probably, <laughs> to be completely honest. I think he would break down in tears because someone touched his same size five iron as his pitching wedge. So, <laughs> yes. I actually have a funny story from the Tour Championship a few years ago about Jason Duffner. So, I think all of his sponsorships were ending. I think it was from the 2017 um, Tour Championship in Atlanta. All of his sponsorships were ending, and... I was on this trip with uh, I was I used to take lessons back in high school and I was on this trip with these uh, with this group and he was handing out clubs his bag and everything and one of the people on the trip actually got uh, his like four iron and he signed it I'm trying to find the picture but it is the coolest thing ever yeah here's the picture y- y'all can look at it but he was just handing out irons wedges drivers. And he just signed this club for Dang. one of the girls on on the trip and just gave it to her. I saw the I saw his bag because it had the Auburn logo. I was considering just pulling out my wallet and saying, take this, I want the bag, because that would have been so cool to have. Man, that is neat. That's a neat story. I didn't know about that. He was, I mean, he just walked off the 18th green. He's like, all right, who wants this? <laughs> like, it was crazy. Next blank here. This is Auburn football related. Demetrius Robertson will be a blank receiver for Auburn. I'm going to be really disappointed if you say something like fantastic. I want some actual analysis here. I'm going to say reliable. I'm going to say reliable receiver because something that Auburn does not have in this receiver room is experience nor production. Uh, Robertson has six years worth of that. So if he's not reliable within the first two or three games, if he's not somebody that they look to during that Penn State game, I'm not saying like consistently. I just think I think on third downs he'll be somebody that Auburn can look at. To be fair, though, you said he's got six years of it. He really has two years of being reliable. So what gets you to there that you think that you just think it's got to be different last stop? The experience. The experience. I think that Bo Nix is going to be able to look his way, uh, think a lot more than some of the other receivers just simply because he's going to know what he's doing. Robertson is. Only nine drops in five years in college football. That is reliable. Go ahead. Mine would be Bo Nix's go-to guy. I think younger guys will get theirs, but I think that, like he said, on like Lance said, on those third downs – that'll be who he's looking for because like he said nine drops in his career and maybe he will develop a good relationship with one of the other receivers but I think that especially beginning of the season he's gonna be looking to Robertson because he knows what he's doing so my answer is utility receiver for Auburn and that's based off of the percentages of snaps where he's lined up at at his various stops whether it was Cal or Georgia at Cal 90 percent of the time he was out wide 90% 90% of the time at Georgia, well, last year it was only about 63% of the time. So somewhere between 63% and 90% of the time at Georgia because the 2019 is most productive season at Georgia. He was 90% of the time in the slot. And then last year it was 60, it was about 65-35 and the 65 was still in the slot. So heavily used in the slot. I'm curious to see where he slots in at Auburn. I know we talked a lot about that yesterday. I think he'll be used as a utility receiver. My main reasoning on that is his speed. I think based off of his speed, You could put him at, whether it's X, Z, Y, wherever it is, in the Auburn receiver chart. You can put him wherever it is on the field, find the slowest quarterback, and get the biggest disparity and say, guard him. 
I think you could see that a lot yeah. this year with Demetrius Robertson, just him moving around the receiver room where there may not be as much versatility in Auburn's receiver room at the individual Agreed. spots. Like I think Kobe Hudson is 100%. Like in my mind, I see him as a Z, and then I think you can interchange. I think Canyon for sure is an X, but I think you can interchange Capers between the slot and the X. Capers is pretty much the only other like versatile guy that I think can play inside and outside other than Demetrius Robertson and I think Capers fell on the depth chart because of his injury hey everybody talks about this guy's speed and I just wanted to look up Robertson's really quick to see what his 40 time was his test time was a 4.35 and then you go and you look on draftscout.com his quickest 40 time that they have here on the website is 4.26 but his 40 time that they recorded was 4.37 so he can run he's got he's got some speed to him and it's excellent size I think coupled with that speed now he's not 6'3 225 Traylon Burks at Arkansas but he's six foot 190 that is that is on par with certain receivers in the league like Jarvis Landry and, and Odell and, and guys like that he's not Devontae Smith that's given up 25 pounds or 30 pounds on on this dude he's built like he, he's not going to get shattered like Anthony Schwartz would if, if you had sized him up really well so I think that this is somebody that you can move around in Auburn's receiver room. We'll, we'll talk about that later on. Moving back to fill-in-the-blank Friday here, the Milwaukee Bucks will win blank games in the NBA Finals as they have now fallen behind 2-0 to the Phoenix Suns. I think it's fair It's fair to say one or two. I'm going to say one because I think Phoenix has kind of taken control over the series, and even though the next two games are in Milwaukee, Giannis dropped another double-double and had a playoff career-high 42 points, and they still couldn't beat the Suns. So I'm going to say they they take one in Milwaukee. Wouldn't be surprised if they took both, but at the end of the day, I think the Suns win the series pretty handily. Three. I think that this series still goes to seven, and I think that the Suns will win in seven. But I really think, I know you're shaking your head, but I really think that Giannis is going to continue his dominant performance, and there's no way, no way Holiday and Middleton keep up this I think when they go home, they're going to figure it out. And I think it's going to be one of those things where the home team kind of wins every game because, I don't know, I just feel like the Bucks are comfortable there. And then the I would Suns, agree with you if they could play any bit of defense, but they were the worst defensive team in the Eastern Conference. Drew Holiday's going to get his. See, that's the thing. Last night, Drew Holiday played fantastic defensively. There was That was not a problem. His no, shot selection was trash. I though. definitely think that they, they're going to go back, they win game three. The Suns will not get up 3-0. And if they do get up 3-0, the Bucks will win. They will not get swept. Uh, my answer is one. I think this thing goes in five. This, the, the Bucks, if they had any lick of defense right now, I think that they, their offense would be enough to win both of these games at home. But they are not exhibiting much to stop anybody in the Suns starting five at the moment. Would this be the first 3-1 lead since the uh, Warriors blew it to the Cavs in like 2016? Would this, if in your hypothetical, if they, if the Bucks win game three and then the Suns win game four, they'd be up 3-1 heading into game five? Would so that, there has to have been another 3-1. I right? feel like, I feel like there was another Cavs-Warriors 3-1 like after has that. To have been, right? I feel like there has to, has to be. Was there one last year? I'm not sure exactly. Well, regardless, my answer to that question is one, Lance and I are in agreement. I want to live in your world, Jacob. I would like this NBA Finals to go seven, but I also get the feeling that each of the wins won't be very competitive if it does that. Yeah, Los Angeles led 3-1 uh, four year. games Yeah, yeah. Out, after uh, four against the Heat. I see what you're trying to do there. I'm picking up what you're putting down. And a point to Jacob real quick is last night, aside from the Suns' second quarter where they won the second quarter by 14 points, 
The Suns did not win another quarter. In fact, they lost two out of the other three mm. and then tied in the fourth. Really, the Bucs won the second half only by a point. And outside of that second quarter, the Bucs only outscored the Suns by four, so not a lot. But the Bucs were competitive in three of the four quarters. That just goes to show you one bad quarter can can end your hopes. Yeah, and then in game one, they also had that run in the fourth quarter where they almost came back. So I, I don't know. I just don't see the Bucs playing like this at home these next two games. I think they win both of those games. And then got to start on defense. Yeah, that I mean that's the most important. Even thing. Even Jay Crowder's getting his at this point, right? <laughs> After going zero for eight in that first game, I know. I mean, even Jay Crowder got some buckets last night. I mean, what what, what did he do? Didn't he have like four for eight, points? three threes? Yeah, eleven. That's my guy. Let's go, Jay Crowder. He also had ten rebounds. <laughs> he was plus ten. That was the he tied with DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker for for having the best. Uh, plus minuses on the floor all game long that's my guy also i'll say what chris paul did last night i think it's what we're going to see the rest of the series i don't imagine him going off for 31 again something else i want to note about this Giannis Antetokounmpo, only bucks player yesterday that had a plus minus of plus three what does that tell you when you see chris middleton's plus minus was minus 15 now chris middleton was bad yesterday but what does that tell you when every other buck player was in the minus when Giannis was not on the floor that was when the Bucks they, they didn't keep it even. The, 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 the true test here is when your star player goes off the floor, can you keep it even for when your star player comes back and you know you can, you can go blow for blow, if not outscore the other team under those circumstances. There was only eight minutes where Giannis was not on the floor, and that was enough for every other player on the Bucks roster to have a negative plus minus. Mm. That is ridiculous. I'm... I I still think it's they they only take one game, but I'm with Jacob. They're not going to play this bad for the rest of the series. They just won't. Like that just doesn't happen. Especially if you've made it this far, you're not going to play that bad. And I think Giannis is just going to he's going to will them to at least one victory. And of course, that would yeah. But I I think that he will will them to a victory, even if everyone kind of plays bad. Which last night should have been that game, but it wasn't. So that kind of makes me think maybe not. But I really think that Middleton and Drew Holiday will get theirs at home. A little soccer talk here. The United States opens up its Gold Cup tournament this upcoming weekend on Sunday against Haiti. The United States will score blank goals against Haiti in the first game of the Gold Cup. Lance, I, I know you. You See, right now, you're just like. Ugh. I was debating between <laughs> saying something obnoxious and saying I don't know anything about soccer, but I'll get. I'll, you know what? I'll I'll say I'll I'll guess. Like I'll actually guess. I'll say two. That's what I went with. See, I, I said two. I said three when you first mentioned it off the air, but then you told me what the roster is going to look like, and I'll say two. Well, the roster is primarily MLS players. This is not your Christian Pulisic, and that really took a lot of life out of me for the Gold Cup when I saw. <laughs> Man, this is not going to actually be yeah. the, the guys that are going to be playing. And, and Pulisic is just you know in the ocean dribbling over giant fish That's and right. falling into the ocean. So we need to keep an eye on him. Make <laughs> Wait, sure. Can, can I can I restate? Wasn't my, that like a grouper? Or yeah. Something like that? yeah. Can I restate my uh, uh, guess for that? Go for it. Uh, ask the question. The question again. The United States will score blank goals against Haiti in the first game of the Gold Cup. Suns and four. <laughs> Final answer. <laughs> I went with two goals. It's mainly an MLS roster. I think that these guys really haven't played a whole lot together. That's going to, in MLS, the, the way that Greg Bearhalter's system is, it's not necessarily the most up-tempo, goal-threatening offensive scheme in the world when, when you're talking about in the soccer world. I'm expecting two goals against Haiti. I think they get better, but it's the first game. Now, is it a win? That's another question. I, I don't know. I, c- I could easily see the U.S. 
finding a way to to tie with Haiti in the first in the first game. Also, it was an Atlantic Goliath grouper. Okay, there you go. Hmm. Jacob with the fun facts. Last one here. We didn't talk about this on our over-unders yesterday, so I fitted in for filling the blank Friday. We ended on Notre Dame. Today, we're going with North Carolina. The over-under, according to Bovada, for win total for North Carolina yesterday, set at 10 wins oh. in 2021. What do you got? Mm. Over-under. Schedule's favorable. This is an easy schedule. Mm-hmm. They don't have to worry about Clemson. The toughest game on this schedule is probably Notre Dame. And outside of that, they honestly should cruise against everybody else. I'm sorry. Now, it is North Carolina, but... Did you just say Notre Dame's a I, tough I, game? I, they, <laughs> I said the toughest game. They also I should have tell to, you about the rest of the schedule. Also, also, they have to travel to Pitt on Thursday night. That's probably number two toughest games. But I don't know. Ending the season at NC State. Miami's... No, give, some, give Miami some love. Miami's... Uh, I think they're going to be uh, better than they were last year, but still not... Not the contender that some folks out there would say. You know, there was a, I think Seth Galena, PFF, picked them to win the national championship. Miami. That's right. You heard me. Bold. I'd like what he's having. Um, but A lot of Oklahoma love on PFF as well. There is. There Which really I'm, is. I'm here for. I think Oklahoma's a legit national championship contender. Uh, Phil Steele actually picked Oklahoma to win the national title. Oh, now that added some legitimacy to it. <laughs> interesting, interesting stuff. Let's go through the schedule here real quick because I see, I see like eight like lockdown wins. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech, Georgia State, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Duke, Wake Forest, Wofford, and Pittsburgh are the games that I see as like North Carolina should win that. The games, you don't think Florida State at home? Florida yeah. State with Mackenzie Milton, man. I don't, I'm not saying that this team is going to be good. I just think it'll be a competitive but ball can, game. Yeah, I, would, I would rather say week one at Virginia Tech is the tricky one if Florida State's the lock at home. It's, it's all about <sighs> That's first week pit. of the season Never and it's on pit. the road. That's fine. That's fair. In reality, though, I, I think I'm going to take the over. I love what I'm Sam Howell's doing, and it's because I think they'll win 10 games. Yep. And I think those losses will honestly be – I think they'll lose Notre Dame on the road, just that primetime game. Even though Notre Dame I don't think will be that good this year – I think that home game at night will be a loss. And then, who knows? I think that North Carolina could just go on a two-week street where they lose to Miami and Notre Dame back-to-back weeks. And those would just be like a bad two weeks. Yeah, that's true. And that's a very North Carolina thing to do. Right. I went with the over. For the record, I do think North Carolina goes 10-2, and two, just like you do. But if I was getting into a betting situation here and which one I think is more likely and which one do I think would be a better payout – I think it would be the over in this situation. So I w- I'm going with the over in my mind. This line is just plain and simple, not fair, because I don't think you can find two other games on here where Nor- where you can say North Carolina is actually like not a five point or more favorite against some of these other teams. So I I don't think that this is just this is not fair. Because Set it at nine and a half. Because this is is so tough. I will bring in the flow chart here real quick. They're <laughs> obviously not an SEC team, but do I like them? I absolutely love these colors. I like Mac Brown. I like Sam Howell. I'll take the over. And with this blissfully easy schedule, I think it's more likely they go eleven yeah. and one than nine and three. They got a they got a junior quarterback that is a stud. Will be a high draft pick in next year's NFL draft. He's got a all senior laden, with the except his the left side of his line is juniors, but they're all back. So he returned five starters. The big thing is he's having to replace all of his skill position players around him. He's, he lost both running backs. He lost all of his talented receivers. So like he lost the skill positions, but because he is he is a junior now, like this guy's ready to go to the league. And if we all think he is this good, which I believe he is, Sam Howell had thirty five hundred yards passing last year, thirty touchdowns, seven picks. I don't think that that was generated by his skill position players entirely. I think he elevates the game of his skill, skill position guys around him, especially considering he has got his entire offensive line back. Okay, so... Offense I, is going to be just yeah, fine. Yeah, that's what... 
before I ask this question, I will say it's July. It's it is July, but. Noah, do you see the ACC title game being competitive if North Carolina gets their 11-1? Oh, that Clemson defense is so good. And I don't think that North Carolina, by that point, I think Clemson's offense will have developed to the point where they should, with relative ease, be able to score on North Carolina. I'm saying put up into the mid-30s. And so then the question that you have to ask yourself, how competitive does this get? Can North Carolina get to that same mark? And I would say and that you're probably looking at like a 35-23 ACC title game, and it's fun for a half. Second half, Clemson just kind of itches away enough. But I, I think that's kind of what we're two score on. A, yeah, I think that's kind of what we're on a trajectory for right now. And I haven't gone in depth in predicting all these teams or evaluating them completely because I've been mainly zeroed in on the SEC. But eventually, I am going to do every single conference and. Right now, my vibe in the ACC is North Carolina-Clemson ACC title. Miami's a close second finish in the in the Coastal. I was about to say, I just realized we've not done any conference predictions like for any. It's too any early. Of them. We got to get to media day first. Yeah, let's go. Let's get through media SEC days. Yeah, I think Big Twelve came out let's with see, their stuff. Let's see what media day says. Let's let's see the polls and then we'll make our own predictions. Fade the media, <laughs> even though we are the media, <laughs> which is kind of weird. Let's take a quick break here. We had a long first segment. When we come back, Auburn football schedule analysis, Mississippi State Bulldogs. Up next, we're to the final three games of our Auburn football schedule analysis series. We'll be back on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Gaughan, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line. At 334-564-1840. Hope everybody's having a great weekend. It's been a short week, and I'm glad to be headed out to the weekend. I actually got to the movie theater yesterday. How was that? Black Widow. It was good. It was solid. 8.4 out of 10. It's good. It's good. Now, the critics haven't liked it very much. I think But so, the audience rating right now, I think it's at like a 94% or something like that. I saw dang. somewhere. I'm I think... Su- go ahead, Lance. I'm surprised it's graded that high. For, for me... It was good. For me, I think that... The reason the critics don't like it is because they had to explain the family stuff so much. And I didn't... Sometimes I just kind of was like... Ugh. No spoilers, Jacob. No spoilers. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> I know, I know. It's in the trailers. Yeah. They had to explain the family stuff a lot. And sometimes it slowed it down. The pacing was weird. There, there Have was, you seen it already? Yeah, I saw it last night. So did I. Where yeah. are you, man? Now, I, Were you prob- at the Opelika one? No. Oh, AMC Auburn. Auburn. Yeah. Okay. But the best. The the point is, is that I think that's why the critics didn't like it. Is it wasn't the perfect movie, but you had to do it to explain everything. Oh, I think this is the beginning of something big. No, I I, really do. Yeah, I love it. I think I think this is the especially with the way that it ended, and with stay for the post credit scene. I it's the I think it's very much so the beginning of the next. I mean, it is one of the first movies in the new phase. Is it the first movie of the new phase of MCU? Yes, it is. So I mean, by far they had to establish something with this movie it's it's very much so it felt a little bit like this movie is to iron man one because that was one of the first ones if not the first one it was of the, first. yeah because then there was hulk that same year after that the incredible that movie hulk. was so bad this very much so in my now i could be way wrong i could be misreading this but i mean they've got you know another 10 movies set up in this phase or something mm-hmm. like that it very much so felt like trying to flesh out the beginning of a new storyline 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's like and it, it, it's something. It's something big. It might not make sense for everyone right now, but I think exactly. And also, I think Florence Pugh, uh, Elena in the in the movie, Natasha's sister, sister. She is incredible i think she is going to take no, she's, off yeah she's going to be i think a major character moving forward but we don't want to get too far into yeah. that people like it, it's a good movie and if you are a superhero movie fan if you're a marvel fan man i, I was very impressed i was I, I went into it cautious i was uh, i was ready to be disappointed and it was good what did you grade it what did i grade it mm-hmm. oh considering we're doing our auburn football schedule analysis yeah, this, series? yeah i was trying to softball that one up to you i'll go a see a. i gave it an 8.4 so I'm also tough. It, like a nine point two was like, like in game. Jacob's a movie critic. What's your? I'm favorite... a restaurant critic. He's a movie critic. What's your favorite <laughs> Marvel movie? Oh, that's tough. I think like personally enjoyment, like not like top rating. I love Thor Ragnarok. The movie okay. was funny. That was, it was fun. enjoyable. That's one of the most funny ones. I love that. What's movie. the Rock guy called in that one? Because he's like my all time favorite. Yeah, he, Korg is my all time favorite character. And then I'll say another one. I'll go to battle for that guy. I really like Winter Soldier. That's an unpopular opinion, but like Winter, Winter Soldier, Soldier was really good. It was key. It was it's crucial I, in fleshing pe- out the storyline. I see people like not like that movie. Mm. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, you are too. Like I and my wife will tell people this. I am. I am hard on restaurants. If I go to eat out at a place, like I'm. I like. I'm. I'm relatively picky. You are picky with movies. Like you will pick it apart. Marvel, Star Wars. That's true. Marvel, Star you Wars. Have your, you have your takes, Lance. Where are you at on that spectrum? Are you more of a restaurant critic, or are you more of a movie mm. critic, <laughs> or neither? Because I, I like every movie I go and see. So take that for what you will with what I say. I, en- I enjoy. I tr- I find a way to enjoy every movie, but like when I. When I look back, I'm like, uh, okay. I don't find myself watching a whole lot of movies, but I do. I would probably say, as far as like, if I'm going to criticize one or the other more often, I would say movies definitely. Like, I sit there in my mind, and I'm just like, well, that's inaccurate. It's like, have you, do y'all watch Cinema Sins on YouTube? Yes. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I watch a movie. I would say my not my favorite Marvel movie, and I don't know if y'all agree with this, but I really liked Spider-Man Homecoming just simply because I did not like the other two actors that have played Spider-Man. I didn't like Garfield, and I didn't like who, to, who Tony was, McGuire. Toby yeah, to, McGuire. To, 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 you were Tony a McGuire. child when those movies were being made. I like well, the first see, one. See, here's the problem. It's like, speaking of like being Toby a child. Toby McGuire's like, goat Spider-Man. Well, here's the problem. Hall and can't take here's him the, over. Here's the problem, though. It's like Spider-Man in the comics, he's not a 30-year-old man. Man, he's not like Tobey Maguire. Yeah. He doesn't look like well, that. Well, Tobey Maguire, yeah, Tobey Maguire did look really old to be playing that role because wasn't he still in that first Spider-Man movie, like borderline, like in I high think school? They put yeah. him in, did they not put him in college? Yeah, I think they put him in college. Yeah, yeah, but but there was that scene where he like hits the dude with the tray in the first movie or something yeah, like that. True. What I'll say like, is, what college hey, are you eating with a tray? Multiverse, December. Watch that Spider-Man. It's gonna be good. Well. We went off the rails a little bit there. When we come back, we are talking Auburn football schedule analysis series. Mississippi State up next. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left in the Friday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Did you rank the 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 wide receiver room? Are you are you prepared for that conversation, or should we go Auburn football schedule analysis? Let's Which go, way you want to go? Let's go. Uh, I mean, I would prefer prepared to do either, but let's go Auburn football schedule analysis. I'm more comfortable grading that. I let's, was. Let's go with that then, and then we'll save that for Monday. We'll we'll we'll. 
will uh, chew on that for a little bit more. But I've ranked my top five wide receivers for Auburn football next year now that Demetrius Robertson has come in to the room. And we'll save that for the Monday edition of the show. Auburn football schedule analysis series, Mississippi State Bulldogs right here. We're into the November time period, last three games. So we've got Mississippi State here November 13th, November 20th against South Carolina, and then I believe it is November 27th against Alabama. So these are our last three games. We're on to Mississippi State here. Let's take a look at that offense. Instead of grading the Mississippi State Bulldogs, did we really just spend last segment talking about Marvel movies? We did. Is that what 100%. happened? I was here for that blew by. It was awesome. Let's make sure we don't revisit it, though. That was fun. Okay. Be careful. I'll, let's start I'll go off. Offense. Offense. Let's start with offense. Let's start at quarterback. Let's grade quarterback. I have Will Rogers or Jack Abraham, whoever starts for Mississippi State this season. I have them graded as a C. Here's my perspective. This offense is going to be able to throw the football around a little bit. Statistically, if one of these guys gets a full season, you're going to look at it at the end of the year and say, yeah, they, they were able to pass the ball around a little bit. They were a good quarterback. At the same time, though, were they really? Because that's all this offense is going to do. I, I don't I don't see these guys either panning out to be anything special. You look at their rushing numbers, only 43.9 rushing yards per game last season. Literally all they did was throw the football. So no matter what these guys do uh, come into the season statistically, it's not it's I don't think it's going to be able to move the needle for me in my mind as to how talented these quarterbacks are. I think Will Rogers, if he is the guy to start, I think he is going to develop a little bit. I think he is going to improve on some of the things that he did last season. I think he's going to be able to cut down on turnovers. You look at his numbers, nine or nineteen hundred passing yards, eleven touchdowns, seven interceptions. I think he's going to be able to get those numbers uh trending in the right direction. But I think they're average. I think whether whether it's Abraham or whether it's Rogers. I think they're average in college football. I'd grade them as a C, maybe C+. This will tell you everything you need to know about Mississippi State's offense right here, right now. Because do the other position groups really matter other than wide receiver? I, I don't even know if offensive line matters with the way that these guys throw the football, at least the, how their passing key, p- passing scheme is set up. Running backs, they average 40 yards a carry. I don't even know if we should grade running back. And then offensive line, they don't have to be in pass protection for that long because all they're doing is throwing little crossing routes that are three yards in front of the line of scrimmage or screens. This is the percentage of pass plays that Mississippi State threw the ball downfield, they ranked 127th nationally. Mm. They were in the bottom... No, I think there's 130 teams in college football. I think only 127 played last season. Oh, okay. Find that for me because it's towards the bottom. Like, it is is either fourth from bottom or bottom, like you just said. 7.6% of their pass plays were downfield that once again 127th in the country they, they do not throw the ball downfield yet they ranked first in the country with 88 percent of their pass plays only being five-man protection so they had four or five guys going out for passes every single play this team loads it up moves the ball down the field but in very short increments and it's all with these like three-yard pass routes that are in front of the line of scrimmage. You can go and look at a Will Rogers heat map if you've got a PFF subscription. And I'm looking at it right here. His hottest location on his heat map, his best spot, three yards in front of the line of scrimmage in between the hashes. And his returning leading receiver, uh, I mean, that's de- almost dead on. The, his returning leaving, leading receiver averaged 4.5 yards per catch. That's really, really bad. Name that player? Um, I think it's Jaquavius Marks. Well, let me do you one better here with another crazy stat. Jaden Wally, and this is a PFF stat that also kind of like incorporates catches into it, but average yards per route run 
for Jaden Wally, 1.78 yards per route run according to Pro Football Focus. And I know, and I, I know that Wally uh, has like 700, 700 yards, and Marks only has like almost 300. But in terms of receptions, he was the most targeted. Marks was, and then also, yeah, there are 130 schools in FBS, but only 120 of seven of them played last season. So dead last, literally to throwing dead the last. ball down the field. They, they do not, like, it is within five yards of the line of scrimmage most of the time with the way that Will Rogers was throwing the football. And the reason why I said that tells you everything that you need to know. This guy finished top of the league, almost, in completion percentage. I think he hit around 70%, didn't he? I think so. I can go check it, check on that really quick. He hit around, like, 70% of his passes that he completed, yet this Mississippi State offense was still towards the bottom of the league in points scored per game. It is too simple the air raid did not work last year it will not work in the sec and they have not added enough talent around will rogers nor will will rogers have improved enough this year for the mississippi state offense to take elite forward in points per game i still think they're going to be sitting at about where they're at right now i kind of question if they should be favored in some of their non-conference games at the moment which includes nc state louisiana tech and memphis all three of which of those teams can very much so beat mississippi state yeah, the schedule does Mississippi State absolutely no favors, and yeah, you are right. Will Rogers was sitting at a 69.1 completion percentage last season, but of course it's really hard to miss on throws whenever they're literally right in front of your face. It's like, But that's easy to defend. Yeah, it's even yeah. it's even easier to defend, and you you say that you think they're going to sit right about 21.4 points per game this season? A little bit better than that because they do get a non-conference schedule now, unlike last year. So I think everybody's points per game from last season, you do have to add a little bit because you get your blowout games in there now. So maybe like 24 or 25. Yeah, at the, same, at. at the same time, though, to your point, their non-conference games that they get outside of Tennessee State in the middle of November – those are not those are not easy matchups. Louisiana Tech is no slouch. NC State is no slouch. And going on the road to Memphis, that's going to be tough. And you say, well, Memphis, Memphis's defense may may be bad. They play in the AAC. Yeah, well, they held. I think it was Ole Miss uh, in 2019, literally like 10 points. Look at State's bowl game. I know they beat Tulsa, but still, it was close. 28-26. So kick like, the dude in the face. <laughs> Listen, don't take it that far. Yeah, that is. That great. was a brutal end yeah, to that game. That really was. And. Like I, I'm seeing, I think they lose to Memphis and NC State. Now maybe they beat Louisiana Tech in a close ball game, but I think they lose to Memphis and NC State. They're one and two going into the LSU game. That this is the Mississippi State schedule right now: Louisiana Tech, NC State, Memphis, LSU, A and M, Alabama. Mm. They're they are one and five after October sixteenth. These, this, these guys ain't going bowling. Uh, yeah, was, we've been talking about how we think Mississippi State, if either Arkansas or Mississippi State goes bowling, it's Mississippi State. But Mississippi State doesn't have a whole lot of good things going for them either outside of ESPN thinking that they're an eight-win team. The first three SEC games do them no favors combined with what could be a shaky run, even if they're two and one out of non-conference play in their first three games. I still think they lose all three of those SEC games to open it up and then you're still looking at a team that has four losses and is two and four after their first six Mm. do you find four wins on the back half where they play Vanderbilt Kentucky Arkansas Auburn Tennessee State and Ole Miss you have to find four wins I don't think it's coming against Auburn or Kentucky and then you got Vanderbilt Arkansas Tennessee State and Ole Miss 
I don't think that they beat Ole Miss either. I think this team finishes around five. And PFF has them at a projected win total of 5.4. And so, even worse, Noah, you and I both think Vanderbilt's going bowling. they got to get a win I here. I didn't say that. No, I just he, said they could. He said it off air, boys. He said it off air. They, <sighs> they're going bowling. Actually, whenever we do our predictions, it's going to be interesting to see where you and I both have them. I'd it's like a to, game that Vanderbilt could win. It's a game that Vanderbilt could win at home. And that, and it's also a game that if they were to go three and one or four and zero, oh, and I, I think it's very, I think they will go three and one at least. But if they were to go four and zero oh in non-conference play and beat Stanford, which is winnable, if they were to do that, they only need two, and there's enough games on Vanderbilt's schedule for that to occur. Yeah, all jokes aside, like like we've we've not said anything other than we said that it could be possible. But all jokes aside, if Vanderbilt does go undefeated in non-conference play and they need those wins, getting a win at Mississippi State at, against Mississippi State at home is doable because they'll want that win. And last year, Mississippi State only beat them twenty-four to seventeen. That was a Vanderbilt That's team tough. that didn't win a game. I'm just saying, like, there's a the, this schedule. They they played Kentucky last year. You know what you know what the score was in last year's Kentucky Mississippi State game. I know you're looking at it, it now, was, but you didn't know it off the top of your head. I, I knew that they didn't score an offensive touchdown. It was two to four to two. That's solid. Good job, Mississippi State. Lost to Arkansas twenty-one to fourteen. Lost to Alabama forty-one to zero. Nice. Lost to Georgia thirty-one to twenty-four. They played pretty well on that one. Had a shot, but still just couldn't find the points. Lost. To, they they could only muster twenty-four points against Ole Miss's defense. Lost thirty-one to twenty-four there. Lost to Auburn, of course, twenty-four to ten. The 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 out the outlandish one there though is the win against Missouri where they beat them fifty one to thirty two. I don't know what happened there, but that did occur. They did beat Missouri at the end of the year fifty one to thirty two, and they won their bowl game twenty eight to twenty six. I just don't know where this team's going to find enough W's to get to a bowl game, which leads me to wonder does does we were, we were talking about Arkansas last week or two weeks ago or whatever about the the legitimacy of them getting to a bowl game. And we gave the edge to Mississippi State at that point, and I and I still probably am giving Mississippi State the edge at that point. But I would not be shocked if two SEC West teams somehow found a way to miss a bowl game. Yep, yep. It uh, does not happen quickly. I want to. I, I do want to go over the rest of their grades on their offense. Uh, I think their receiver room is a C. I don't think it's a B, B or a B plus or an in, A simply because I think again the scheme is going to benefit them. And if they're only running routes like two yards in front of the line of scrimmage, I don't think they're doing necessarily anything special. They're just literally dinking, dunking down the field. Their offensive line I would also grade as a C as well, simply because it's an SEC caliber offensive line. They only bring back two starters from this or three starters actually on this unit, but. I don't think they're going to be able to do anything overly impressive or I also don't think they're going to be underwhelming I think they're going to this this scheme is going to get yards in the passing game but they're not going to do anything special to get to that point so I think it's I think literally this offense is average get this they're top two receivers and once again this tells you everything you need to know about the scheme the the how they draw up their pass plays their receiver room their receivers combined, their top two receivers combined for 112 catches for 986 yards. That is a whopping 8.8 yards per reception, and they only had two touchdowns. It's not good. It's only productive because of volume. I, I think we have seen enough. I'm ready to say it right now. We have seen enough of the air raid to know it will not work. And again, I've said this a few times on this show, Mississippi State has missed on their last two hires in terms of culture fit. Mike Leach is not a culture fit. J- uh, who who was the guy in, uh, before him? He's slipping my mind. He was the OC at Penn State. Joe Moorhead was not a was not a culture fit. Neither of those guys were from the South. They, I'm not saying that they need to get a guy from the South, but they need to get a guy that will come in and that fans will accept 
because they are a culture fit. And I'm I'm not saying that Jamie Chadwell is the is the guy that you go out and get from Coastal Carolina. I'm just saying somebody like him would be a good fit for Mississippi State. But somebody that understands the landscape and knows how to yeah. win in this portion of the country. And maybe Joe Moorhead knows a little bit more about that than possibly Mike Leach. But then again, you have to think back to Mike Leach was successful at Texas Tech, but that's still a whole different ball game. That's still the Big 12 versus the SEC, which is a night and day difference yeah, they didn't in terms play of roster makeup. Then. They still don't. They still don't. Now, last year in the SEC, you can make the argument that we didn't play defense in the conference that year either. But still, Mississippi State is a team that I'm extremely down on compared to whereas some people think that this team could take a step forward. I'm wondering where that's coming from. It might be on experience alone. They got 16 returning starters, 16, 17 guys coming back. But even I just don't see how it takes that much of a step forward in year two. I, I don't I don't know how many years it's going to take Mike Leach to install this new system, but I'm not liking the way it looks at the moment. Defensive side of the ball, though, is the side that is hurt by this because I actually think there's real talent on this side of the ball, and I actually think it's not that bad of a group because we saw them last year against Georgia, held them to 31, held Auburn to 24. They were a tough out for a lot of teams offensively, even held Ole Miss to 35. That was lower than their average. They held a lot of teams below their season average in points per game but they are hurt so much by the ineffective play of the offensive side of the ball that sometimes has a three and out in 20 seconds because that's only how long it takes with three straight incomplete passes yeah I think this defense was definitely hurt by this offense's ineptitude last season you look at the numbers 28.1 points allowed per game that was sixth in the SEC 58th nationally only 126.4 rushing yards per game allowed that was 23rd nationally fourth in the SEC but that pass defense 263.4 yards allowed per game that was 10th in the SEC 105th nationally you add the rushing and passing yards up that's 389.7 yards allowed per game. That was fifth in the SEC, 52nd nationally. So I think this defense does have, has, I think it has potential. I think Zach Arnett is a really good defensive coordinator. The situation that he stepped into year one last season, I'm surprised they didn't give up more points based on how bad the offense was. I think he did a solid job. I think the back end of this defense definitely is going to have to improve, though, in order for Mississippi State to stay in some of these games. They they, they do bring back four starters, but two of them are going are projected to be – no, five starters, but two of them are projected to be backups. I'm not quite sure why. I believe Fred Peters actually was a starter in 2019. I'm assuming he got injured. Just I'm looking at Athlon's roster predictions right now, and – I'm assuming Fred Peters will, will uh, he was he was injured and he will get that starting spot back. But this back end, they've got to be able to improve, man. They've looking at it now. They do have some returning production, but they've got to be able to to improve. And this offense has to be able to stay on the field longer for in order for them to do so. It's absolutely bewildering to me that this team finished sixth in the SEC in scoring defense with a minus seven turnover margin for the entire team which ranked like 109th nationally, 13th in the SEC. That is bewildering. They were giving folks short fields. So possibly that skews a little bit of the yards allowed per game a bit because they were giving folks short fields. But the other side of it, and a lot of that had to do with KJ Costello being a turnover machine before they moved on to Will Rogers. But this is a Mississippi State team that I'm, that I'm pretty down on. That I, I think you can definitely – we have to equate this because this is the Auburn football schedule analysis series – Compare this to how Auburn will match up with Mississippi State because Auburn's strength of the whole football team is secondary. And they've got the athleticism to tackle in space. So I don't think they're going to have any issue with Mississippi State whatsoever. Just go back and watch last year's football game. Now, Auburn couldn't score very well, but defensively, Mississippi State was not a threat against Auburn 
from what they were trying to do on offense. Yeah, something that we were talking about with Arkansas is our concern is like, well, if Auburn's playing well sideline to sideline, Arkansas may be potentially be able to hit it over the top because Auburn struggled at that last season. If Mississippi State is struggling to get passes going literally at the line of scrimmage and last season they couldn't hit the long ball, Auburn's going to thrive defensively. I mean, they're going to destroy them because Auburn's going to be able to, to make those tackles two or three yards uh, past the line of scrimmage and Mississippi State literally just won't be able to go deep on them. This is not going to be a game that's the last game of the regular season that's a, a replay game, right? Like this is, it's not, it's not like that. This is a game where Auburn's trying to hit their stride it's not where they're already like because I mean Malzahn was fired what the next day like it was literally the next day that Malzahn was let go this is not a game where everything's just kind of in the rearview mirror and you may have not have cared about it that at that point because I think Auburn probably did kind of mail it in after the Iron Bowl a bit you 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 look at that circumstances of last year compared to this year they're playing them on November 13th they got South Carolina the next week in Alabama the week after that I think this is the point where you should be seeing Auburn hitting its stride mm-hmm. going into the end of the year when maybe they're in contention for something so I, I I expect this to be one of the most skewed SEC games for Auburn all year long especially yeah. from a matchup standpoint and Bo Nix at home has had a lot of a lot of success and he had a lot of success at home against Mississippi State in 2019 I will imagine that he will continue that run of success Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we wrap up the Friday edition of On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. we got about three minutes left in the Friday edition of the show. It's been a fun show, and if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We had Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the entire first hour of the show. It was an all-Auburn first hour. Lance, what was your favorite thing that Christian said today? I think my favorite thing anytime Christian comes in the studio is for him to casually remind me that Auburn basketball is going to the Final Four at least this season and every single time man he comes in here with such good information about how Auburn's playing in practices and I'll say this honestly I think my favorite thing was the Chris Moore bit same here I I think for the Chris Moore bit was definitely my favorite thing because if Auburn's playing so well with their starting lineup if they can get their depth pieces who were literally the starters from last season to play well Jalen Williams Chris Moore Devin Cambridge if those guys can play well off the bench man oh man what a season it could be what are you guys going to be watching this weekend Um, ufc ufc that's tonight right it's tomorrow night um what's going on tonight then is there anything going on tonight with it not because there was some type of event yesterday or or maybe the the, press conference was yesterday weigh-ins were earlier today dude you should know you're the what's on tv tonight you're the tv guy bro (laughs) that's right yeah, nah, they, they fight tomorrow. Yeah, UFC 264 is going to be something Do you else. have a pick? I'm, I'm picking Poye. I think he gets it done again. I, I just don't know. I don't know. McGregor, he's kind of – it's kind of weird because before the last fight at Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, he did not talk any smack or anything, and he got knocked out. And now he is – I mean, I feel like he's never – He's talking smack again? It's like old McGregor? Yeah. I mean, and it's it's almost elevated. He's not as crazy. He you did, a McGregor guy? Did you like him when he was at his height? I'm okay with him. I just don't think he's as good right now. I thought he was pretty good for the sport when he was at his height. I agree. I just think right now he's just like, I don't know. I think he's not as interested anymore. I think that the sport, in a way, it's been elevated, but because I think it's more accessible now than it has been. More people are watching it. But 
I don't know if I'm as locked on to the personalities in it as I was maybe when McGregor, because McGregor was such a personality. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more boring well, personalities at the top at the moment. Well, you like should have seen what he did yesterday. I think it was yesterday. He tried to kick Poirier when he they faced off. Him. He also took his hot sauce and threw it into the crowd. Because last at the <laughs> last funny. fight, Poirier gave him the hot sauce. So he, it was a, it was a good, it was funny what he did there. But I really think, see, it was like when Diaz fought staged. Uh, like a month ago. Yeah. It was like when Diaz fought a month ago. He did. He was horrible through four rounds. That fifth round, though, he almost won, and it was the talk of uh, other. Th- I think that was also the that was the night that I think there was a really bad arm break or something. But other than that, that was the talk of the night. It was about Diaz for thirty seconds, almost got a win. I won't be watching that fight. I'll be watching soccer this weekend. United States, man. I, I like fighting. Rep the better. USA. It's a That's lot more fair. fun. There's a soccer the, versus the, fighting. Quite. You'd rather different. see people kicking each other than a ball. Correct. <laughs> That's fair. Don't I? I don't want to pay for the fight, though, man. There's ways. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm not doing that. That's it for the Friday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Monday, same time, same place. Stay tuned for the drive coming up from four to six here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you next week. You know where to find us.